Hey, superhumans, welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Our superhuman guest today is Jeff Messina. Jeff hails from Sydney, Australia, and he has two master's degrees in education, because one master's degree is simply not enough, and has spent the last 15 years helping students and clients reach and surpass their learning goals. In this episode, you're going to hear about how Jeff went from being dead last in class in mathematics to teaching university-level calculus as a high schooler, how to beat procrastination and make habits stick, and most importantly, how to avoid the great dangers posed by toaster oven user manuals. So, without any further procrastination, Jeff Messina. Jeff, hey, thanks so much for being here. Super excited. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colin. It's great to connect with you again. Yeah, of course. And uh, I know the big question on everyone's minds is, who are the 10 cats I'm going to meet in heaven? And we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do, I mean, I've already mentioned this in the, the intro, but um, you've got two master's degrees in education. You're a teacher now, you're a coach. I know you help people with improv and acting. Um, and from all the coaches I've had on, I think we've we've at least touched on their educational background. Some of our coaches, ironically, hated school. I was one of those. Some love school. I got to imagine that you're in the love school camp, right? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think I've been, I was very fortunate. I, I feel like I had really good teachers um, that inspired me, but that um, through, through like, elementary school, high school, some parts of university now upon reflection. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I had a positive uh, education experience. Uh, that being said, you know, I was reflecting on uh, what do I remember from being in, in elementary school? Cause I'm an elementary school teacher. I teach grade four right now. And I cannot remember for the life of me, a single lesson. Like I cannot remember any of them but what I do remember is the social aspect like there are very clear memories of hanging out with friends uh, like under portable stairs like shouting things at people playing sports so I know I did learn how to read I know I learned how to like do some like basic maths uh, but uh, it's it's funny like upon reflection what do I remember and what do I don't I think overall it's it was a positive experience it also showed me, um, not to say that all my teachers were great. There were definitely teachers that were not, but that also taught me something. It's like, okay, I do not want to be like that. I do not want to teach like that. And I don't want uh, my, the people that I work with or uh, my students to experience that. So in any, in, in all ways, it's been educational and, uh, and helpful for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you ever uh, wonder if your fourth graders are going to remember anything from your class? <laughs> I, I think so. So what I try to create are just like learning experiences. Like I do, one of the things that I remember from, from primary school is we, I had this teacher, uh, Miss Adams, and this is in, okay, so I'll, I'll, this was in the 90s. <laughs> so in primary school, is that the maths workout? I'm not sure. Uh, we'll work it out later. But anyways, I think I was in about year year four or five and our our teacher we were 
we were talking about the environment and we were talking about things that we could do. And we actually had a field trip to McDonald's where at that time McDonald's used to serve like everything in styrofoam containers. So this is maybe <laughs> very dated. So no one understands what I'm talking about. But back, back in the day, like McDonald's used to serve food in these styrofoam containers. And I remember our teacher took us for a field trip and we went there and we ordered, we placed our orders for a very unhealthy food, but we asked that everything was wrapped in like wax paper instead of <laughs> foam containers so that, I don't know, so that they would be annoyed. And so, and, but that was our, like our little mini protest about what they were doing. And eventually that's changed, but uh, the food hasn't, but the has. <laughs> <laughs> we got to stage another protest. That's so funny. I remember um, my mom was totally anti fast food so we like never had it <laughs> but i remember one time we went to mcdonald's i remember the, the styrofoam containers because I, yeah. I don't know how young i was but i remember i ordered pancakes at mcdonald's which i don't even know if they serve pancakes anymore but um i remember i spent the rest of my life thinking well i know why my mom hates fast food because those were the worst pancakes <laughs> i've ever had and i think at some point people told me like you know most people don't order pancakes at mcdonald's right <laughs> it's not their top it's a bad summer, choice yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny it's the funny it's funny the things we carry with us <laughs> yeah yeah i am i am shocked that i cannot remember a, a, like a single actual lesson but uh i don't know it makes me think about the importance of like like the social connections and the relationships even within learning it's like i find it with myself as well like i uh, I can learn things on my own, but I, I do feel like I thrive when I'm working with other people or within a group. I find that's more motivating and, you know, there's more opportunities to reinforce things and learn things in that kind of environment. Right. So, I mean, now you are obviously a teacher. You've, you've had a lot of education at this point. You've educated others. Has learning always come easily to you or is that something that you had to develop? Um. I, I would say that that was something, even though I had lots of great teachers over, you know, over my life, um, it's something that I definitely had to develop. Like, I think some things did come easy to me. I think when I was younger, I, I kind of figured out, hmm, like the game of school. So I was like, oh, <laughs> like these are like the hoops that you're trying to jump through and things that you're trying to do. So, um, and I found out, I think I got exposed to kind of some of the like, just ways to study early on. But that being said, I didn't, I didn't always find things easy. So uh, when I first got to high school, I, um, I entered this uh, new high school, it was an all boys high school, I thought I was pretty good at most things. And uh, upon getting my first report card, because the school was so small, they even they, they used to rank us. They didn't like say what number you were. I was like, oh. Um, and I came out like the bottom of the maths. And I it was a surprise because I just thought I was pretty good at maths. And I wasn't, I didn't quite understand why I was like showing up as the worst. Um, and it was, it was quite a shock to me, but it was something that I was like, okay, can, is there something I can do about this? Um, so I remember they used to give us like, we used to carry these big, big textbooks and they'd have all the questions at the front, but they'd also have all the answers at the back. 
And what I started to do was um, actually took the time, like because the answers were at the back, I guess I could have just like written the answers, but I, I tried to deconstruct like how they were getting from the questions to the answers, like working backwards. And then I also, I also started just doing more of them. Um, like the teacher would assign, like do every other one. And I started like, once I figured out how to do it, I would continue to do it until it was like, it wasn't such a cognitive load. It was just automatic. And I think that just helped me build confidence and be like, oh, I can do this. I know how to do it. Now I can do it quickly. And now I, I can do it without like a lot of mental effort into it. And so I think I, I use that to build my confidence in maths. Uh, and then uh, con I continued to work on it till uh, by the time I got to my final year of high school, I was doing university level uh, calculus in high school and I was tutoring people on it and I was getting a lot of satisfaction uh, from like being able to figure things out. So I, I like the problem solving aspect of that. And there was definitely some sort of like, um, dopamine release, like struggling with something and being like, oh, we figured it out. It's like, that felt really good. So. Man, you were a proactive and disciplined high schooler. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> maybe in some ways, I probably also did a lot of things that I shouldn't have as well, but we don't get into that. <laughs> I don't think it's high school if you don't make some pretty stupid decisions. So yeah, yeah. Good to yeah. hear that. Well, then I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, I think I, uh, I, maybe I started, I, I started to build these skills and then I started probably getting too cocky. Like I was like, Oh, I can do anything. Um, and I think there are like, you know, you got to balance things out. So. Gotcha. No juicy yeah. stories from that. I mean, it sounds like there's gotta be something good there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not at the moment. Let's all just right, hold on. those in the bag for that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving past high school. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so you're obviously one of our super human Academy coaches now. So what was the, what was the journey from uh, failing math student to tutoring people in university level math in high school to super learner coach? Yeah. So I think through that whole process, um, I actually, as I mentioned before, like there's that uh, like, I'm not sure if it was dopamine, but like whatever the release is from solving a problem, there was something that I really, I, I started to get addicted to that. And I was like, oh, I like the learning process. At least I'm, I'm honestly just trying to think, is this my, <laughs> is this my like rosy pictured view of the past or, but I, genuinely I, I do enjoy learning like even, even today. Um, and so I think I enjoyed learning. Um, hmm. And I don't know. I, I maybe I maybe I, I I got addicted to that, and I wanted to see how I could improve it as well. Um, and I'm not. I can't remember exactly where I, I came across Jonathan because, as I said, like I wanted to learn about so many different things. So, I'd, you know research on the internet, different ways to, to, um, to speed read or to, to learn more efficiently. And I had tried a couple of things in the past. Like I remember 
this this was in high school i had ordered those like speed reading tapes like they were on cassettes and i remember listening to them and i remember not being able to speed read after them and i was like well this doesn't work um but there was an interest there and then i did find jonathan um and i went through some of his initial courses and i think what i got was there were just a couple times when i just it's almost like when you have uh, an early win and it just changes like your, your belief, uh, like self-efficacy or this idea that, wait a second, I, I'm, I am actually capable of this. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with learning experiences. I think sometimes there's like, uh, there could be great, mm, uh, like there could be experts out there with a lot of great knowledge but if they don't create a learning experience where someone has an opportunity to even have a taste of like what it is to experience success, it's hard to kind of push through that initial slog. So um, I did experience some of those uh, pieces of success with Jonathan. And then I was like, oh, I want to learn more and continue to like <laughs> purchase anything that he had on the market. And then uh, when there was an opportunity to to become a coach, uh, I jumped at it. And uh, I'm really happy that I did because I've met some incredible people and I've had some great experiences, even learning about uh, this aspect of education, which is coaching, uh, which has been awesome. Awesome. Well, I think it's a perfect segue uh, because one of those, you know, one of those experiences and one of those projects we've done as a coaching team, obviously was writing the superhuman playbook and you were the first chapter <laughs> in the book because you covered a topic that I, I I felt like you know kind of belonged at the beginning which is this idea of procrastination and you just mentioned um, how important it is to have some success get some some initial momentum and uh, I don't want to steal your thunder here but I'm guessing some parts of procrastination is is not getting that initial momentum is that part of yeah. it yeah well, I, in my experience, it has been. I am, and actually, even as like, I think about some of my students, even right now in my my younger students in year four, and for some of them, um, and I'm sure this applies to adults as well because I've experienced it. But sometimes a, a task can just feel so big that it's so overwhelming that it's like, how do you even begin it? And then it becomes uh it becomes so enormous that there's no even um it's it's overwhelming to 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 take it on um you know so for some of my students it could be something as simple as you know um you know having their equipment ready so having like their pencil in hand or whatever and that is enough to like or having the pencil and their book open, or you know, uh, thinking about sitting, like if they're working in pairs, like thinking about uh, two of the ideas or two concepts that they they had just learned before they share it with a partner, and just giving them that first little inroad of being able to to experience some success before they you know continue on the rest of the journey. I found has been super helpful. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like that's applied to, to my life as well. Uh, thinking about big projects like the book uh, and writing that chapter, um, that was a struggle. But like <laughs> I did, I did break it down, and uh, 
Yeah, uh, having having that within a schedule really helped me kind of get it through. But you know, there was there were questions of whether it was going to come through or not. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you talked about that. Like in your chapter, you actually write about the process of writing the chapter and how that was. A, yeah. <laughs> there was procrastination around that. And one of my favorite examples that I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, uh, you paint this amazing picture uh, involving the ten cats you might meet in heaven <laughs> share where that came from um that <laughs> that just came from i don't know usually when when i think about getting sucked in uh youtube black holes or like social media black holes it's just you know you go in there for one thing and you might be going in there to like uh listen uh, I, i've been enjoying uh watching uh uh different videos just about you know lots of different things but I always end up somewhere else uh because one video leads into the other and it's so it's so it's so scary that like even with the awareness of that loop I can find myself oh wait a second what's happening now like what time is it now it's like we're 20 minutes in I came in here for like a one minute video or whatever it is so um yeah, that that the ten cats that I would meet in heaven <laughs> um, is just something, just some random thing that no one would ever search for, but uh, you might find it yourself watching uh, if you were procrastinating. No one ever searches for it, but it has a hundred million views or something. <laughs> that's right. That's right, and is recommended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So in your chapter, I know I think you referenced uh, two of probably the major books that people think about when they think about habit forming. I think you brought up both atomic habits and tiny habits. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Obviously you didn't write those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Got the idea um, I mean, find them. yes. Yeah. You know what? I, I think what brought me to, to those, uh, to habits just in general is that, you know, in my thirst and search for, knowledge and hacks and things that could help me I almost uh I actually found myself on this this treadmill of just wanting and desiring to consume more and more and more but realizing like all the things that I'd learned weren't showing up in my life so I might like read three books on like how to sleep better from like amazing experts and then I'd be like great I know this information now like I could tell you about it but I wasn't actually seeing it in my own life. And that's kind of when I started to, to slow down a bit. And I was like, is it really about um, having more information in my head or is it about more like taking the important things and embodying them into my life? And I found that was, um, there was procrastination around that because that was the harder thing to do. Like I found it easier to just like, okay, well, let's listen to, like a bunch of podcasts on this, or let's watch these things. But is there something that I can take from that, turn it into some something actionable, and then actually do it? I think that's where um, I found. Hmm, I think that's where the, like the the real juice of of all the amazing wisdom that's out there really lands. Um, and so that's what brought me to books like Atomic Habits, and then Tiny Habits. I. I did a tiny habits coaching certification in, I think it was like 2017 or 16. It was a while ago. And it was really for myself. I wanted to understand 
behavior and habits from BJ Fogg, the way he was explaining it um, at, at a depth that I could explain it to someone else, but it was really for myself so that I could apply it to myself. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I think that's a process that I am still developing and going through. And, you know, there's some areas of my life where I feel like my habits are solid and other areas where it ebbs and flows. And um, coming back to what I was saying at the beginning about, well, maybe I haven't mentioned this yet, but it's this, uh, I think there's this idea of uh, self-compassion and understanding that uh, if, if something isn't working for you, it's like the first step shouldn't be to like beat yourself up about it, but it's maybe to look at the process and say, wait a second, is there something, uh, is there something in this process or something in the way that I'm trying to apply this that is not working for me rather than saying I'm the one who is like inherently flawed. So I think that's been a big shift for me because uh, just realizing like everyone's so different and uh, you know, even even in uh, your podcast where you reflected on like even the words that we use, like our own experience of them are different. So when someone's sharing something and maybe they're sharing a process or a, a, a method to do something, it might not land in the same way. And I think with everything that we take on or everything that we read and we learn, we got to like reinterpret it for ourselves and make adjustments for ourselves because I don't think there is like that one size fits all, but I think... Uh, there is a way to take some of these like amazing processes and then uh, individualize them for ourselves. And it's kind of like in the classroom as well. Like I might have a classroom of like 30 students. They're all different, but like there's, there's this concept that I want them to understand, but they're not all going to get it in the exact same way. So what do I have to do to change that and modify it so that they can access it and then make it their own, which is, I think the tricky thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I actually didn't. I didn't realize that you had uh, become certified as like a coach too. That's really cool. So I think on that front, I'll grill you about that then, <laughs> um, because what you're saying, I think, is really powerful. But I think it's also easy to feel like, well, okay, it's it's great that it's not my fault, but I still don't know what to do about it, right? Yeah. So for somebody who's yes. in that boat, you know when you say it's not necessarily their fault, what are the things that they can, they can do then? And what are the ways that they can, um, you know, change the way that they, they perceive what's coming in and really personalize it. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that to, to clarify. So let's say, um, yeah, it's when, when I, when I'm saying like, it's not that person's fault, I'm not, abdicating or like releasing them of any responsibility. Actually, uh, what I want to say is that they need to take responsibility for how they make it theirs and how they make it work for them. Because like, I don't think one size fits all works. For, well, it, do, it doesn't work for everyone, right? So you can take something and say, okay, what can I do to uh, adjust and change something. So maybe um, let's say, well, I don't know, maybe let's work with you. Colin, is there like a, a habit in, in your life that you feel like, oh, I know this would be beneficial for me. I've tried to do it in the past. I just haven't, like, maybe I'll get a couple days or uh, may, I just can't get it to stick or I can't even get it started. Is there something like that? And maybe we could work through it. 
Yeah, I've actually, uh, I've been told to journal by every self-improvement <laughs> in the world. Jonathan's told me to. I yeah. even got the Superhuman Playbook Journal, or not Superhuman Playbook, Superhuman Academy Journal a little while ago. And I yeah. have an accountability partner. I've been starting to do it, but it's something I've struggled to do for years. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Okay. So rather than saying like, I, I think, I don't know, this came up for me. I'd read that. I'd, I'd, I'd read a book like, uh, uh, like Miracle Method or whatever. Some, I, there's so many things, so many journaling uh, uh, courses and, and books and everything. And, and it's like, this is, this is so important for, for your self-development. And uh, I've gone through the same thing as well, where I'm like, okay, I know this is important. Could it be meditation? Could it be journaling? Whatever it is, drinking more water. I'm like, I just can't get it to stick. And rather than saying, okay, I'm not someone who journals. I would take a look actually at the process leading into it. And then, and then uh, take a look at if uh, bringing awareness to that. And then once we have awareness of it and build the structure for it to happen, if it's not working, making adjustments. So let me backtrack and go back to, uh, do you have kind of, I, you've read, I know that you've read Tiny Habits, right? And probably atomic habits as well, probably <laughs> a number of so is is there is there like an um uh, a behavior like uh, recipe or habit recipe that you have tried in the past to build your journaling habit, and what does it look like? Yeah, so I might have to dig back pre uh, pre coaching days because <laughs> I know exactly what I'd tell myself now, um, yeah, but yeah, I remember um, in college, I I started to try journaling. I was listening to the Superhuman Academy podcast, rest in peace, <laughs> back then. And I think I heard someone talk about it. And what I tried to do was tie it to waking up in the morning. The first right. thing I do when I wake up, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go into my, my, my desk and I'm going to go, you know, journal and do what I'm supposed to do. Right. Right. So that was my whole process. I'll just do it first thing in the morning. Yeah. And did it work? Uh, did it work at all? It never worked. I think and... I, it worked for about two days. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It was very short. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what happens. Like people will hear something and they're like, okay, I'm going to start journaling and then it doesn't work. And they're like, well, this doesn't work. Right. For me. And, uh, um, so, um, what I would do personally, so if I notice that I'm like, okay, I want to start journaling, it's not working for me. Um, uh, let me just ask you a quick question. Where did you, did you have a process? Like, what was the trigger? It's like, as soon as I wake up, I like get out of bed and I open my journal, like, or was it, I get to the kitchen, my journal's out there and I start journaling or what, what did it look like? So yeah, I lived in a house with 60 guys in college. So we all slept in <laughs> rooms and we had our own uh, rooms with roommates down the hall. So I was pretty much just, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to walk down the hallway. I'm going to go into my my room, sit down at my desk and start journaling. I, I do think I was smart enough to at least put the journal like on my desk. So it was there. Yeah. Prompt. Um but I mean, I could dig into all the reasons why it doesn't work, but I want you to, <laughs> I want you as yeah. the coach to deconstruct that for me. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, so I'll bring it back to kind of uh, my, my own experience with journaling and why quite similar to you. Like I was like, I knew I had to wake up, uh, start journaling in the morning. Um, 
And so I started to build kind of uh, the recipes. So BJ, BJ Fogg's recipe is like after I blank. So some sort of trigger, I will blank, right? So um, when I was doing it before and it wasn't working, it was like, uh, after I wake up, I will journal. And so that's uh, very broad and it wasn't specific enough. So after I wake up, um, it, in my mind, it was like any time in the morning. So it wasn't tied to a specific kind of trigger point for me. Like it could have been after I like actually wake up and roll out of bed, I'll do it. But if I did that, uh, I would have realized I wouldn't be in like the, the, the ideal kind of state for me to do that. Like upon waking up, like if you roll out of bed, for me, that wouldn't be like the best state for me to begin journaling, right? So I would actually push that journaling process a little bit later in my morning routine. And the way that, uh, the way that I've done it, at least, is it's not the first thing I do. Uh, first thing I do after I wake up, I will uh, stand up and say, it's a great day. So I actually roll out of the bed. I look at the window. Uh, I have like a physical thing that I do. And then I say, it's going to be a great day. And I have a couple more tiny habits on my way to the kitchen. I've got um, a pull-up bar. So after, uh, there's a pull-up bar in my hallway. So after I pass the pull-up bar, I actually hang on it for 30 seconds and then I drop off of it. After I do that, I like open these, uh, uh, the window and get some fresh air in. But my journaling process actually comes after I make myself a tea. So, my journal, I put my journal out on, it goes on the kitchen table. And it's like, after I make my tea, I will journal. And the reason why I did it then is because I've woken up enough. And also while I'm having my tea, it's something that I associate, like it's a positive, nice thing that I can do at that same time. And there's not much else that I can do while I'm having my tea as well. Um, and so in your situation, it might be to, uh, you said you were what going into the hallway or going to your desk or yeah i would walk down uh, the hallway and walk into my room and supposedly yeah. i was supposed to sit down on my desk and start journaling yeah did you i mean was that something that you were looking forward to uh in any way shape or form or and 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 also did you did you have a reason why that you wanted to do it other than someone told you to do it because i think there's a couple pieces in there as well it's like What's the, I, I've heard that this is good, but why, like, why am I even doing this? Cause it, it feels like, like the, the value in doing it wasn't there for the, the amount of effort and time that you were putting into it. Right. Yeah. I think one of, all right, there, <laughs> there are several pieces of gold there. I want to make sure we extract. So one thing you said is um, make sure that you, you create your habit in a time where you're actually in the right mental space to perform whatever that behavior is. I know that's something I've definitely missed a lot uh, when, when thinking about behavior design. And I think that's something a lot of people miss is just thinking, uh, when do I have time to do this rather than when do I actually have the mental energy and the desire to do it? And those are two very mm -hmm. different things a lot of times. So I love that you brought that up. That's really helpful. Um, another thing is, you know, why are we doing it? And why, when we talked to, or when I talked to Peter, I think that was episode one talking about, it's really hard to pursue a goal if it's somebody else's goal. Yeah. 
you're going to lose the motivation. And I think that's true too. I think when I originally made that journaling habit or I tried to, um, I was doing it mostly because I was told over and over again, oh, there, there's so many benefits to journaling. You just have to try it yourself. And there probably would have been if I'd kept it up, but I, that wasn't enough for me, you know, at the beginning, I don't think to be really driving force in my motivation. And it was mostly just a, I'm supposed to do this. Um, yeah. but, you know, I'd rather sleep in a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. A lot of days and then not have time for it. Yeah. And I guess that value kind of like, like, um, the, the expected value from like sleeping in as, as opposed to like writing in this journal that you might not have any deeper connection with it. It makes itself apparent. It's like, well, actually I don't see the value in pursuing this. So why would I continue on with it? And, and even that being said, there's a, a number of different kind of journaling processes, depending on who it is, the more like certain people would be attracted to more uh, to one or the other. Um, and, that goes back to what I was saying, like, like you might be presented with a journaling process or any other kind of process. And that's just one person's opinion. So um, I'm very much into kind of experimenting and being taking responsibility and saying, okay, so I tried this one. Uh, I might try uh, a couple of these other ones. So experimenting on the journaling process, but also experimenting on, like, as you said, the time and the triggers that you use to kind of uh, uh, start that up. Like maybe for some people, even though it's popular to journal first thing in the morning, maybe other people's like best time to journal is like when they first get to work and like they get to work early and they actually journal before they start their day at work. Or maybe it's like at the end of the day. So um, rather than writing it off and saying, oh, you know, I'm not good at this or it, it's not uh, for me or, uh, you know, it's looking at the process and saying, wait a second, if I really want to do this, why is it important? Then where can I fit it in? And and having a couple goes and being like, okay, that one didn't work. Let's tweak it and change it to see if we can make it work. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I love what you said about the experimenting. And this is something I think has almost become like the theme of this podcast, maybe at this point, <laughs> um, which is that everybody's different. That's not just cliche. Uh, it means mm. that everything that you learn, you need to then think about how it applies in your life and how it's different for you than other people. And if you don't make that consideration, yeah. everything you learn probably isn't going to fit or be as, as valuable to you as it could be. Um, so I think yeah. that's critical. So um, one thing I wanted to, to make sure we asked is, you know, since we are talking about procrastination and behavior design, uh, for somebody who's struggled with procrastination, what would you say would be maybe the one or two really important things that would help them to overcome that issue. Yeah. Well, I think, um, and this relates to the kind of the journaling um, struggle that you had like early on. Um, I find that if I'm very connected and clear, clear on like the reasons why I'm doing things, it makes it so much easier. Like it changes the motivation. Like, so if we were to like explore, like, is, is journaling something that you would still want to do now? And if it was, like what, are, what are the reasons, what are the benefits in that and clarifying what your why is behind doing that action? Because without that why, it's like, someone told me to do this. I, I'm going to try to do it. Like the motivation isn't there. And particularly uh, when I was mentioning experimenting, uh, 
if you're experimenting with something, that means that you're trying lots of different things that aren't working until you find something that works. And to have the resilience or the grit or what you need to push through to get something to work, you actually need to have a, a clear why behind that. So if you have a clear why, then you can work the process of adjusting until you get to where you want, uh, rather than just saying, oh no, it's just not for me. So I think that's uh, one of the biggest things. So clear why, and then being willing to understand that I'm clear on this. This is really what I, uh, this is really what I want. So let's just continue to make adjustments until we get to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, that reminded me of a story that you were telling earlier, uh, which was an image that I loved, which is uh, about figuring out when when it is good to stop doing something and when it's not worth persevering. So can you take us? I've got this scene. You are in your kitchen and you are reading a manual for a toaster. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> I, 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 I recognize in myself that um, like if someone wanted to hack my brain and lots of like companies do, they, they would just put a progress bar <laughs> above it because there's some sort of, I've, I realize that I've got a need for completion. I wanna see something come to the end, even if, if it's at the detriment to myself, right? So for example, like um, I, if, if we've bought a toaster, I will actually take out the manual <laughs> and read through it. And the idea, the, the, I think the initial uh, reason for that was, is because, because of my thirst of knowledge, I wanted to know every single little detail. I wanted to know every single little feature if there was something hidden, was there a button to make it like a time machine that most people didn't know about, but I did because I actually read it. It's, it's, <laughs> this is the manual of a toaster. <laughs> that, that's it. The secrets of the world are hidden in front of us. But um, I realized that for a lot of things, I was like trying to achieve 100% completion in them and trying to get the satisfaction of, I did a 100% completion. So it, it might look like for a book, reading it from cover to cover, like reading, reading all the, all the like uh, quotes from other famous people at the beginning, right? Reading like, uh, like the recommendations at the end. And I, I realized, mm, is, is the purpose of, is the purpose of reading this book to get a hundred percent completion on reading the book? Or is the purpose about extracting something really meaningful and then applying it to my own life. And I think that's where kind of it stands for me. Um, I, I don't feel as compelled to go through something from beginning to end and say, I did that 100%. I'm, I'm more directed by what, what is my why? What do I need to get from this? What can I apply? And then take that and then start applying it in my life. And I think that's probably, at least for me, and I, I don't know if it's uh, it's the same for other people, but that kind of releases a lot of kind of uh, stress and anxiety and um, ex expectations on myself to do everything 100%. Um, I think it's, oh, I'm sure there's a lot of people, but maybe it's Dan Sullivan who talks about like getting it to 80% and then that's, that's enough and that can help uh, release some of like any perfectionist tendencies and procrastination around it has to be perfect. It has to be 100% all the time. 
and then going to the part where it's like, let's get it to this point. And then from there, once you get it to 80%, you actually can see all the things that you need to change or fix or adjust on the way, uh, rather than, you know, in a lot of ways for procrastination, putting things off and not sending them out or not shipping them or not, you know, not finishing because you haven't got it at that perfection level. Right. Yeah. And just to draw the connection between that story and what we were just talking about, you mentioned how important it is to ask, ask why you're doing something and then experimenting. Um, but one thing that I've seen in my personal life and with people I've worked with is asking why at the beginning, but then not asking why over and over and over again. Ah, yeah. It might be a point, you know, where that task or that behavior is no longer serving you. Maybe it was mm. at the beginning, but it's not anymore. And so all that experimentation and tweaking and all that stuff, it was great. But at some point you might just say, you know what, this actually isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you don't ask That's why throughout, then you, you won't figure that out. It's so like journaling. Maybe this is a great thing for me to do and I'm going to stick with it for a while. And I, I have the behaviors now to do that. There might be a point at which when I ask why at some point there isn't really a good answer anymore and I might stop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and even if you think about like, like the different stages of your life, some things are going to have higher priority at different stages, which are going to require more of your focus and energy and other times they're not going to. Um, and I think it's important to reflect on that. And maybe the reason why people, so many people encourage journaling is because it's a space to have that reflection and be like, what needs to stay and what can we let go of and just say, that's actually not where I should be directing my attention and maybe having that understanding. Oh, actually that's the reason why. So I can eliminate the stuff that's not necessary for me. That's like where the benefit in journaling is because right. I find it personally easy to just get caught up in doing. And there's so many things that I want to do personally and new interests and hobbies and projects. And then thinking about, wait a second, like, taking actually a break to, to consider what is most important for me now. And that might've been important for me like two years ago. Is it still important for me right now? And is it still serving like the greater, like contributing to the bigger, bigger picture and bigger goal? Um, because I know that's something that I can get caught up with. Uh, I, and maybe this is something that I need to reflect on. Like, I feel like learning, learning about a wide range of things opens up different parts of me. Uh, and my understanding of the world and my perspective of the world and my experience of the world. But um, do like, does like taking on like six new hobbies or learning challenges really contribute to what I, my main goal is, right? And maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but it's good to have that space to question that and reflect on it. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Uh, so we are coming up on time here a little bit, but I want to make sure to give you a chance uh, to leave our listeners with either one message to take away or a challenge. I'll leave it up to you or both. <laughs> hmm. I think I, I would, <laughs> because, because this came up and you, you mentioned it, I would, I would, uh, extend to our listeners uh, the, ch the journal challenge to actually create that space where you can reflect um, on if the things that you're doing in your life are contributing to like what your vision is and what your big why is 
and if they're not. And uh, I would offer it up um, in a way that we'll use a tiny habit to get people started on their journaling. So I would uh, suggest to everyone who wants to try to start journaling or if they've been meaning to for a while, uh, create a recipe that starts with after I, and then think of some trigger in your, it could be in your morning routine sometime in your life. Most people say in the morning because um, that's before you've been flooded with all these other expectations and information. But maybe find a trigger in your morning where you feel like you're in a good state to begin journaling. And um, journaling can look like a lot of different things. I've, uh, I've heard people where they're just, just like write, uh, write just a few sentences. Some people have it more structured where you think about your energy, your work, your relationships. Um, I would offer it up to people to just do this after I find some trigger in the morning where you're in a good state, give yourself uh, set aside less than no, five minutes for that. But uh, the, the key thing, if you're going to build a habit, especially with tiny habits is um, let's say, after I, you know, make my tea, I open my journal, that's the win. And you celebrate that, right? And so the barrier for success there is so small, but you know, maybe you just open your journal 30 times <laughs> or, or like, let's say the next week, seven times, you may do that. But otherwise um, you've actually just created a space for you to write down any ideas or reflections that you have. Uh, and that could be the beginning of uh, a nice, uh, habit or routine for you or a place for you to reflect. And if not, uh, you can experiment with that or you can let it go. <laughs> Incredible. I think that's a great challenge. I'm obviously going to be doing it, <laughs> going to be doing it. So um, I will report my results pretty soon. Um, well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure. I really appreciate this conversation. I think our listeners will too. So uh, we should talk soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Colin. Appreciate you.